TheNordly.com is a regional satire news site focusing its jokes on Minnesota, one headline at a time. This format, made popular by publications like The Onion, may occasionally be in the middle of the media standoff between real and fake news, even though, in the case of The Nordly, it isn't trying to be. That's where satire writing is challenging, whether you're writing for The Nordly or for your student publication's April Fool's issue. I recently had the chance to connect with Anna Laranega, an editor of The Nordly, and one of its co-founders. I got to ask her about the dynamic between satire news and fake news, and she outlined some of the key principles The Nordly sticks to in order to stay on the right side of the format. We talked about The Nordly's pitch and writing process, as well as what it's been like being an actor and comedian in New York during a pandemic. You're listening to Journalism 101, and this is our interview. It's really nice to connect with you today. And I just kind of want to start by giving you just a little bit of background as far as my experience or lack thereof with news satire writing. I grew up kind of in my formative high school and college journalism years reading The Onion. And so I knew a great deal about them and their whole story and the University of Wisconsin at Madison and, and, and all of that. But as a writer, it was always something that I thought was like really cool. And, you know, these writers are whip smart. And it was something that I always kind of imagined would be fun to do. But it was also something that was kind of with out of my reach almost. It was like I could never really figure it out. Um, figure out how to strike the right tone or how exactly to get started with something like that. So I'm curious to just kind of get to know you and a little bit about your background and and how you came to get into satire writing as a part of the Nordly. Totally. My background includes about zero journalism, actually. (laughs) Uh, I went to school for theater. I'm a performer and um, also was interested in comedy and did improv and eventually started getting into opportunities where I was writing comedy, both like sketches and news comedy. And then in 2018 is when two of my friends who we were working on a news comedy show and I teamed up to create the Nordly, which is the satire site that I work on. And definitely we're playing it by ear and, For us, we knew the jokes aspect and capturing the journalism style tone was where we had to acquire some of those skills. Like I took journalism in college, but I needed a writing credit. Mm -hmm. And that was like I had taken uh, AP English. And so that counted for like, so I didn't have to take like freshman writing, but I had to take an upper level course. And I was like, I don't know, journalism. And turns out that ended up being um, one of the most important (laughs) classes that I ended up carrying over to uh, my post-grad work. So yeah, kind of came from more of a performance route and a comedy space. And also, you know, always admired The Onion and loved reading it. And Mm -hmm. 
being from Minnesota, like obviously we're close to Madison and, <laughs> and Chicago, but the onion is such a institution and it's huge and it's hard to get involved with them. And right. we saw at the Nordly, like Minnesotans love to talk about themselves <laughs> and um, it is being in flyover territory. There is a lack of content that addresses that lived experience. And so we were, I mean, we're kind of doing the onion cosplay as it were, but <laughs> we're trying to emulate what we love about that publication and uh, create something that is for a specific audience. I'm curious if the, the friends that you started the Nordly with have a similar background to you, because I'm curious if you think that not having the deepest background in journalism was actually a key part of figuring out how to write satire because you maybe have a different view of um, how news works or, or how it's written, how it just basically looks from a consumer perspective compared to somebody who's like trained and studying all of the ins and outs of the industry. Yeah. Our editor-in-chief, Jonathan Gershberg, um, went to McAllister and ran mm. their satire um, newspaper, so had background in writing and producing written satire. I don't know how much, like, journalism training or background uh, he has. Like, I don't know if he did, like, the school paper in high school or anything like that. Um, our other editor, Aaron Woldeslassi, um, came from professionally writing and editing background and a comedy background and actually now works for Minnesota public radio and was able to transfer his skills from fake news into real news. So <laughs> now he works in journalism. <laughs> That's interesting. So, you know, it can definitely get there. Um, can you just kind of explain your, your writing process and how you come up with an idea, how you develop it into something that looks like um, a news piece. I, as an editor, spend more time mm -hmm. working with other people's writing. Um, but the standard process for anyone who is writing an article for us is that they submit a headline. Um, we have kind of a blind review process. So there's a form. So we just see the headline without the writer's name initially. And if we like it, we approve that headline. Sometimes a joke really is only fitting for like a headline only sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not because it's like less good of a joke, but it's like one and done, did it in one, it's perfect. And we'll assign an image to it and put it up on the site. And for folks who we think there's some runway for an article to expand on that joke, uh, we'll send it back to them for a draft. They send it back to us. We do kind of a remote editing communication process before it gets up on the site. Those are the mechanics. Uh, but as far as the writing process goes, it's definitely different than like being a journalist is you have to be on a beat and you have real world events to respond to all the time. Mm -hmm. And with the Nordly, we're kind of split with responding to current events and things that are going on. And also just writing humorous articles about day-to-day -day sort of situations that aren't tied to a real event in physical time, but are tied to a truth about the region we live in, how yeah. people are, things your mom says all the time, like tropes yeah. and things like that. So the, the biggest hurdle is like coming up with an idea. But I would say to anyone who is looking to 
get into this, like if you have a, a story or an event to respond to, you can use that as a jumping off point, find the thing that is funny or absurd. If you're going for a specific like satirical lens of like responding critically to something that is going on, finding the thing you want to skewer as it were, mm-hmm. and uh, try to find the way to format that as a headline, uh, but also that it works as a joke, usually putting the funniest thing at the end of that headline and making it both funny and intriguing enough that someone would want to read more or find it funny based on that first glance. Because we work on the internet, the internet uh, has no attention span (laughs) and you are fighting with literally everything in the entire world to capture an audience. And then if you have a headline that is strong, you like the joke and there is more you want to say and there is more to say, taking the joke of the headline is a blueprint. Um, we will, this is kind of an improv term and we use it at the Nordly is um, playing the game of the article mm-hmm. or the in improv it's the game of the scene, which is taking a certain thing. I'm trying to think of an example for um, what a good non-regional it's hard when i'm like i need a regional example (laughs) that doesn't require local knowledge because i know not everyone is a minnesotan right um but if the joke is moms who will take like any sort of container and ask you like do you need this for anything which is like i feel like it's a a oh yeah universal experience or a very widespread truthful experience what else is true about that so are there other things that she saves? What other behavior would be true if literally every Tupperware, like plastic bag that held grapes in it or whatever it is, <laughs> um, is something that she sees as utility for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finding those jokes, um, people approach article writing differently. Um, I know for me, when I am writing, I will like, think of the like bullet points of like jokes and and those sort of things that I want to touch on and then string those together uh, with the like exposition and and information that you need to kind of carry those jokes. Mm -hmm. That's where I think being a good journalist uh, helps you because you know the format, you know the terminology to use to make it sound newsy and the way news articles are approached. So it's kind of, you can apply those skills to the joke. Right. That is something I had to adapt to. A lot of our new writers have to adapt to what it sounds like to write for a newspaper. And like, not all of our headlines are specifically new style. Sometimes we mm-hmm. dabble in like the BuzzFeedy sort of like clickbait sort of voice. Mm-hmm. But for those new style things, it is very specific. And we want to commit to that style because committing really hard to the thing you're trying to emulate and satirize strengthens the joke. The more it looks like a newspaper, the funnier it is to talk about something that's like the DNR creating a observatory to look for trout in space, which is a real (laughs) article that we have published. (laughs) I find it uh, so surprising when myself or one of my colleagues speaks to uh, some of these high school student journalists or high school uh, journalism advisors. And so many of them do these April Fool's editions. And it's their biggest, most 
It's what they're most excited about for the entire year. And I find it so surprising, one, because in my high school journalism environment um, years and years ago, that was something that was basically frowned upon and not allowed. And I think it's just because it can go so badly, potentially. So I'm curious what sorts of principles would you advise that people need to stick to when they are you know, trying to come up with ideas and, and content for these issues? Because what they're doing is, is more longer articles rather than just headlines, because perhaps they're printing these editions out and, and sending them around to their students. So maybe it's, you know, when you're editing one of your writers for the Nordly, when can it start to go wrong that like, okay, you've maybe gone a little bit too far here, or this is not what we're looking for. Especially there's a lot of room to uh, step on the rake. And especially when you are in a satirical space and you are responding critically to something that is going on that may be a sensitive issue, um, something involving injustice or, you know, oppression. And I think that avoiding those things comes from step one in what your headline is. There is a philosophy in a lot of comedy spaces, including us at the Nordly, that uh, if you are writing satire, your aim is to punch up and not punch down. Punching up at systems of power, systems that oppress other people who are the ones who are hurting others and using that power to mm. abuse others and take advantage of other people and not putting those who are at the other end of that oppression as the butt of the joke. Yeah, And that's a very fine line um, but if you are punching down at someone for being poor, for being uh, a racial minority, uh, for being uh, an LGBTQ plus person, like trans kids right now are really mm-hmm. um, being the subject of a lot of really shitty, horrific legislation. You want to direct your joke at the politicians who are making those laws and not at the kids who are victim to those laws. And Sometimes that is hard to see and it is easy to mix that up. But when you are writing a headline, really ask yourself if you are making fun of the right person. Because if you start off basically punching down, you won't be able to dig yourself out of that hole in the article. Mm-hmm. And if you are even even in a print space, but if especially if you're in an online space, no one is going to click on the article for potential redemption there. So you want to make sure that like the central idea that you are going with is punching up. And this is something that also can be um, applied to things that are more like broad humor that aren't necessarily have a specific target. I know in Minneapolis, there I don't know if this is still the case, but there were kind of a string of thefts of like catalytic converters and people have submitted jokes about that. But for those who aren't aware, people are often stealing those because they have valuable metal that they use to pay for drugs. And Mm. so that is inherently making fun of people who are poor and who are suffering from addiction. And so that is, that's not funny and it ends up being kind of classist and, and bigoted. And so 
you have to re- really investigate what you are saying in your headline. And sometimes yeah. you you mess up and that doesn't mean you're a bad person. Sometimes it's just you don't stick the landing. And catching those things early and really investigating those things will help you in the long run as far as going through the rest of your process. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to turn off your reader. You want to make the point that is really championing those who don't have as much of a voice or influence in society. You, you don't want to joke about something that you don't know about. You really need to understand your subject that you're going after, essentially, especially in the example you used, which is a great one. Yeah. Also, as um, a point of advice for white folks out there, such as myself, mm-hmm. be very cautious and cognizant of when like, you are not the person to speak to the oppression of people of color. Um, yeah. It is a fine line, but... I mean, obviously, like, again, being in Minneapolis, a lot of police violence going on and things like that. Um, You can still criticize the police, but don't put words in the voice or in the mouths of folks who are going through an experience that you don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that is also something to keep in mind and question, like, am I speaking for someone else right now? Am I making fun of the wrong person? Punching down is essentially bullying. Mm -hmm. So, like try to make sure you're not bullying and punching down. It feels edgy or like, don't, <laughs> don't be the like edge Lord, like trying to say something that like controversial. <laughs> it is right. hard to do when you are in a, a print context being, if you are someone with a comedic background or something we've experienced is we have written for performers. And there are sometimes jokes that like can be sold because you know, this performer is, can make anything work and can use their charisma to pull off the joke that maybe would be like a groaner or isn't really that funny. The person delivering the joke you are writing on the page is the person's, the reader's brain, which is probably the, like, you have to imagine the most boring voice reading it. And the joke has to be airtight and strong enough on its own. And so you can't lean on assumptions of voice performance character um, and assumed perspective that is uh, a joke killer yeah another reason that i think satire for people who uh you know aren't thinking hard about it or hard enough about it can go horribly wrong is because of this whole fake news thing how has quote fake news affected satire journalism satire writing since it was invented as a phrase in the last presidential administration. Yeah, it is tricky. Mm. I think that we have gotten into situations where we have written a headline that is too close to the truth mm-hmm. or felt too close to the truth and that like people had assumed that it's true. We um, wrote a joke about, this is really dark. I can't remember which instance of police violence (laughs) triggered this joke oh yeah but um we had a joke i believe i don't remember if it was it was what a texas city it might have been like dallas or houston there was an instance of police violence we wrote a joke um about uh geronimo yanez who was the police officer who killed philando castile being transferred to that department and someone thought it was true like we had a journalist reach out to us like no one else is saying this can you tell me your sources and we we're like this is a joke oh we are so sorry but oh my 
And so it is, you have to proceed with caution. Uh, we had another instance where Jeff Bezos, I believe, had donated money to help um, build a homeless shelter in the Twin Cities metro area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was just him or a donation. I can't remember the exact facts. We wrote a joke that was Jeff Bezos uh, opens homeless shelter for Amazon employees. And which is a joke of like <laughs> a billionaire literally uh, reinforcing the low wages uh, and poor treatment <laughs> of its workers. Yeah. It's been um, turned into a meme by like anti-capitalist uh, social media pages and has made the rounds like multiple times. Terrific. And like it hit Facebook, it's hit Instagram. And like, I look at the comment section and it's like, oh my gosh. And like people like the Nordley's satire and then people will, you know, figure it out. And then a lot of the responses, well, the fact that it was believable says something, Yeah, which is true. I think that it is a less harmful example than the first one, but is uh, a pitfall you can get into because then people are trying to argue whether or not it's true and they're not enjoying the joke. That is not the point. I also think that in terms of branding and sort of approaching being a satire site is like, we don't really use the word fake news very often because it is, it's been co-opted and it responds to something different. And it's, we don't want to associate ourselves with, we're also fake news. Like it is um, uh, something that again, detracts from the conversation you're trying to have, which is, you know, telling jokes and it being, something that is fun and sometimes very poignant and um, acerbic, but getting drawn into the broader conversation of what is reality, which is dark, is something to avoid. I know there are other satire sites um, who are not as concerned about this. The the Babylon Bee, which is more of a right-wing Okay. Sort of like also kind of Christian-based satire site has, I believe in the New York Times wrote an article about them and they, that they were um, experiencing a very similar thing of like people thinking that their news was real and that they were like, haha, shrug. Um, <laughs> and maybe I'm misinterpreting that. But that is for us not something we are looking to lean into, even if it like generates oh. like clicks from us, from people trying to figure out what the hell this headline is. Yeah. It is, it, it's a distraction and it takes you away from what you are enjoying about writing these headlines and it makes it, um, it is just a distraction. Yeah, it's not something that you want to be associated with. And I mean, to be clear, there, there's a difference, right? So fake oh, news is, is a, a news story that's kind of a, an Im- imagining a totally different reality than what actually exists making up a totally false story but yeah or bad faith interpretations of um events that are going on and uh warping back statistics events to benefit a specific narrative yeah and and satire you know at at a base level and correct me if i'm just misinterpreting this but it's you know you're writing something that maybe pokes fun at something that's based in reality, like a Minnesotan stereotype in, in the case of the Nordley in a lot of cases. So it's, there's a fine line there, obviously, between what those two things are and how they differentiate themselves. 
Absolutely. One thing we say in our workshops and to our writers is that a headline should be based in truth. Not that it has to be factually true, but based in some sort of, whether it's like experiential truth or something that resonates and rings true to the reader, like your Minnesota stereotypes, your like the people in Minnesota who wear shorts in negative degree weather. That yeah. is like a true thing. And talking about like a specific instance of a person doing this in an extreme situation, like mm-hmm. that event didn't happen, but it is tied to uh, something that is a real lived experience for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And the end result is not to convince the reader that this exact thing happened, but to comment on and make fun of a phenomenon and experience. And so, yeah, if you are um, someone who is uh, a student working on a April Fool's like newspaper, I mean, we're in May now. So this is, right. if you're thinking way ahead. It's already been done and screwed up potentially. (laughs) It is always next year. Yeah. I would advise that your articles, the goal should not be trying to trick anyone into believing something is true. Like doing like a prank, I don't think is very effective because like one, they'll figure it out pretty easily if like they look at everything else on the page and it's also not true, Mm -hmm. but that comment on things that feel real and expand on it. And like, you can create this fictional world, but it is based in a kernel of truth about like something your principal does or something about the way you're like a weird hallway in the school or whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. But I think where you're like, math is canceled. Like that is (laughs) fake news. And that doesn't have that much of a payoff either. As someone who has been with a satire site and like (laughs) seen things where people believe it's real like that, it, it doesn't mean you necessarily won. It, it just means that like you didn't necessarily do the joke as well as you could have that people realize it's a joke. Yeah. For you as, as well, like you mentioned off the top, you've been in the acting space, the comedy space. You're living in New York now. What in terms of that side of things is coming next for you, if anything? Or what are you doing in that space? And what's it been like? in a pandemic i assume that uh most of that stuff is just kind of shut down yeah <laughs> there was some not necessarily audioly perceived laughter but throughout the question i was like <laughs> <laughs> acting in a pandemic um i moved to new york during the pandemic which is possibly a bad choice but i was like i want to be here when things come back uh i had hoped that things would come back sooner sooner but here we are um <laughs> I think, and there are, you know, film shoots happening. There are things going on. People do open mics like outside, not so much in the winter, but there is opportunities out there that are more limited and people are persevering through this pandemic. Uh, But I will say I've been very grateful that like one part of my creative work is something that doesn't need to be done in person that we Mm. have been able to do over Zoom. And it is something that can reach our intended audience via the internet, the way it always has. And so it's been nice to have that sort of thing where it's like, I can still do the one comedy thing that doesn't (laughs) need an in-person audience. And it's not like doing Zoom shows or readings where it's like, it's just not the same. Luckily it is kind of the same. And 
as far as like what's coming up. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's more of, I guess the same and seeing, um, for like in New York city, there are certain venues and theaters and things that, um, are not coming back or theaters, uh, like, uh, the upright citizens brigade in New York city, which is, uh, basically a comedy institution and improv institution, yep. um, doesn't have any physical space anymore. They don't have any like classroom space or, or venues or stages. So what this looks like post pandemic when everyone is vaccinated and that we can all be in the same space is kind of unknown. So I will cherish, I will continue to cherish that I have this creative outlet and something that, and I would encourage other people who are looking to try it. Like this is as good of a time as ever where you have less distractions, I guess, other than like the constant dread of being in this world, but it is an opportunity that doesn't need your in-person presence. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if you listen to, um, Dax Shepard's podcast, but he had Amy Poehler on several weeks ago and she talked about UCB and, and, uh, well, the history of it, but also what, what has kind of come of it and what's, what's happening right now. And so it's, it's kind of an interesting conversation that they had for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, Anna, at least keep making fun of Minnesotans wherever you are, whatever you're doing. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Journalism 101 is a production of School Newspapers Online. Our theme music comes from Pixabay. My interview with Anna was recorded via Zoom and edited using Audacity. You can listen to more episodes of the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please rate and review us so more journalism aficionados can hear these episodes. I'm Alex McNamee. Thanks for listening.